It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Welcome to everybody. Thank you for joining the program today. I continued discussing the origin of life, the information in the DNA molecule, and the evidence it gives to design. I intend to focus more on design. The classical design argument looked at order in the world and concluded that God must have caused it. William Paley in the 19th century gave the design argument its most eloquent and persuasive formulation. He looked at the order of the artifact of a watch and compared it to the order of living beings. If human intelligence was responsible for the artifact, reasoned Paley, then some intelligent power greater than man must have accounted for living beings. He concluded that God had to be that intelligent power. Some claim that the major problem with this design argument was its claim to reason from order in the world to a supernatural designer of the world. It is true Paley did not provide evidence supporting the supernatural conclusion. My guess, he could have given supporting evidence, but at that time he didn't think it was necessary. Charles Darwin was one of those who objected to Paley's argument. Darwin claimed natural selection produced apparent design, which according to him, the religious faithful mistook for true design. That is where the matter stood for a century. In 1953, Stanley Miller and Harold Urey designed an experiment that produced amino acids, the basic building blocks for proteins, from the basic chemicals of water, ammonia, methane, hydrogen, and a spark of energy. This experiment was heralded as a colossal breakthrough and as a powerful support for Alexander O'Paran's pond of primordial soup theory for the origin of life. After the publication of Miller-Urey's findings, others replicated their results. Consequently, the Miller-Urey experiment received widespread coverage in Time magazine and other popular publications, and this notoriety gave chemical evolutionary theory the status of scientific orthodoxy almost overnight. By the time of the Darwinian centennial in 1959, the evolutionists hoped that the materialistic story of life's origin was at last within reach. They thought that What remained to be verified was merely the final touches of the theory. 
But for the present time, even if the details were not yet complete, they hoped that at least the details were sufficiently sketched in enough to prohibit any speculations about a designing supernatural hand. But this grand hope was premature. First, because the Miller-Urey experiment assumed conditions that were contrary to the way the world actually was. Secondly, the amino acids produced in the experiment were not only not beneficial to life, but in fact were lethal to it. So it all boiled down to the realization that their experiment did not really solve anything about the origin of life. Thirdly, scientists then began to reflect more deeply about the other great scientific discovery in the year 1953. And that made the material explanation for the origin of life more remote than ever. In the wake of Watson and Crick's 1953 discovery of the structure of the DNA molecule, scientists soon realized that DNA could store an immense amount of information. By the late 1960s, molecular biologists knew where the information for building proteins were stored and even how that information was used to build them. Further, they knew how DNA could split to copy a sequence of nucleotides. The weak hydrogen bonds that held the two strands of the DNA molecule of the double helix would unzip like two opposing strips of Velcro to allow the exposed sequence of bases to be copied. Scientists knew what DNA did. It stored the information set that is, the information, for building proteins in the cell, and it transmitted hereditary traits in living things using its four-character chemical alphabet of the nucleotide bases adenine, cytosine, guanine, and thymine, which we now abbreviate as A, C, G, and T. But what was still unsolved was where the information contained in DNA came from in the first place. Specifically, the question still remaining was, what is the origin of that information? Stephen Meyer calls this mystery the DNA enigma, a mystery that is closely connected to the question of how the first life came into being. Advances in molecular biology and biochemistry revolutionized our understanding of the miniature world within the cell. The process of reproduction, or self-replication, has become better understood. At the core of this process is the DNA molecule. Though not itself alive, DNA is usually regarded as the indispensable condition for life. DNA is considered as the identifying mark of a living system. We can judge something as living if it contains DNA. Scientists have discovered that most cellular functions of an organism to support life must be able to perform certain minimal functions 
in particular, to store information, edit it, transmit, and communicate information to other cells to use that information to regulate the most fundamental metabolic processes. Rather than the earlier characterization of cells as simply globules of protoplasm, biologists now describe cells as complex information systems. Thus, the former Oxford biology professor and staunch advocate of Darwinism, Richard Dawkins, while denying there is any real evidence of intelligent design, nonetheless had to acknowledge that DNA is full of digital information. He notes that the machine code of the genes is uncannily computer-like. And the founder of Microsoft, Bill Gates, observes that DNA is like a computer program, but far, far more advanced than any software ever created. In addition, many describe the information stored in DNA simply as digital code. A sequence of chemical characters stores and transmits the communication in the cell. Communication is possible no matter what symbols are used as an alphabet. The 26 letters in English, the two symbols, 0 and 1, that we use in computer code, or the four nucleotide characters in DNA, that is, the genetic alphabet, all serve in communication. In the last episode, I discussed two distinctions in the definition of information. One is a piece of knowledge communicated to a conscious person. The other is a sequence of characters or arrangements or string of characters that produces a particular outcome or performs a communication function. Since Watson and Crick's Nobel Prize winning discovery in 1953, scientists have increasingly come to understand that information occupies the central position for explaining life. DNA stores the assembly instructions for building the many proteins and protein machines for all living systems. It follows that building a living cell in the first place requires assembly instructions stored in DNA. That should make sense to us because we now know that if you want to give your computer a new function, you have to give it computer code, software. In other words, information. Scientists have applied information theory to biology, and in particular to the genetic code. Information theory is the science of message transformation developed by Claude Shannon in the 1940s. It provides a means of measuring information. It applies to any symbol system, regardless of the characters of that system. Shannon developed laws that apply to human language, Morse code, computer language, and the genetic code. 
The conclusion drawn from the application of Shannon's theory to biology requires a new formulation of the problem. That is, there exists a structural identity between the DNA code and a written language. In the Journal of Theoretical Biology, H.P. Yaki writes, It is important to understand that we are not reasoning by analogy. The sequence hypothesis that the exact order of symbols records the information applies directly to the protein and the genetic text as well as to written language, and therefore the treatment is mathematically identical. The origin of life, German scientist Bern Olaf Coopers acknowledged this observation early on. He explains, the problem of the origin of life is clearly basically equivalent to the origin of biological information. Charles Thaxton, in his article in the 2002 book Darwinism Under the Microscope by James P. Gills and Tom Woodward, says, this development is highly significant for the modern origin of life discussion. It is more than an, an analogy. In fact, in terms of structure, the two are mathematically identical. In the case of written languages, we have the uniform experience that they have an intelligent cause. If the 13-letter message, John loves Mary, is meaningful and implies an intelligent author, then the 3.1 billion-letter message of DNA, which gives instructions on how to build proteins and organs in the body, etc., is dramatically more meaningful and also implies a super-intelligent author. We may not know the name of the author, but we know he is intelligent and has a will because he decided when to write the message. The information in DNA has meaning and purpose, so as it is said to be specified, not simple redundant orderly repetition like that of a snowflake. Thus we suspect there is an intelligent mind behind the whole process. So, in summary, we are dealing with information inside the cell. We need information to build all the important components of the cell. There is a connection between biological information and of life. And that information forces us to grapple with the origin of that information. I will continue this discussion in the next episode. In the meantime, exercise daily, walk with God. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. 
And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.